Hello, and welcome back to Opportunity Thrives. I'm your host, Jason Mitchell, and on this show, we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's secondary students. Through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers, we want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we can impact positive and lasting change. And we would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. Please click in the podcast notes. You can leave us a review, you can provide input, or just send us questions. You can also reach out to us at info at opportunitythrives.com. On the show today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Matthew Highfield, who has 25 years of experience teaching high school social studies and is currently a future-ready TOSA. He's a Google trainer, an Apple educator, and he serves on the district equity and inclusion team and focuses on the digital divide issues and how they are affecting teaching and learning. In November, he received an Outstanding Telecommunications Advocate Award from the Oregon Broadband Advisory Council for his promotion of improved access, reliability, and affordability. Welcome, Matt. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you. Well, Matt, would you please start by sharing just a little bit more about the students that you serve at the Beaverton School District? Yeah, definitely. Beaverton is located just outside of Portland, Oregon, and we're the third largest school district in the state. We have about 54% of our students are students of color, and we have 94 primary languages that are spoken in students' homes. So we are a pretty diverse district. We have some of the wealthiest zip codes in the state, but we also have some areas that are lacking resources as well. So we have a big dichotomy in our district of very wealthy schools and some not-so-wealthy schools. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about online learning and how you guys have historically used that in your district to meet the needs of students. Well, several years ago, we started out, once our infrastructure was adequate enough, we started out with some class sets of Chromebooks so teachers could innovate, teachers applied. And that was really when teachers started integrating digital curriculum, digital pedagogy into their classrooms. And then more recently, we were a one-to-one school district. Now every secondary student has a Chromebook. And slowly over time, that makes sure that our learning management systems were uniform, that there was some similar language, and also that, you know, we're focused on really good digital instruction. Because, I mean, as your listeners know, just because a student is working on a computer doesn't mean that that is engaging work that fuels curiosity. There's some really good instruction that goes on, and then there's some average or not so good instruction that goes on. So we're working real hard to make sure that all of our students have opportunities. Yeah, well, on top of that change, talk a little bit about the disruption that happened last spring. How did your district respond to school closures and then how they also responded in the fall as you pivoted to meet the needs of your students? Oh my gosh, you know, across the world, school districts have really been working hard, struggling, failing, succeeding. Our district, we always had connectivity issues for our students. We've been working on those connectivity issues with hotspot programs for the past several years. But that really, in March, we really had to up that. We had to get connectivity devices into the hands of students as fast as we could. And we mobilized our IT department. People in schools really went the extra mile to order more hotspots and get them into the hands of students. But once in the hands of students, it didn't end there. I mean, some of our hotspots, we realized pretty quickly had data limitations. A lot of 
hotspots built for education, their data plan prevent for, you know, students doing homework at night for an hour or two, not for Zoom calls all day long that take up a lot of data. So that was definitely a challenge. So we had to work through that issue as well for a lot of students getting new technology into their hands to, you know, make sure they were connected. There was a lot of technical issues. And one thing that we did pretty immediately is our IT department mobilized and staffed a student help desk. So any family in the district, any student could call in and say, hey, you know, my Chromebook isn't working, it isn't connecting, or the school website isn't working, what am I doing wrong? And we found that was wildly popular. We had hundreds of calls. We soon realized that many of our students, English wasn't their first language. We have a lot of Spanish speakers. So we had to pivot again and retool the helpline, you know, press one for English, dos para español. And then we had to find staff for Spanish speakers. Really, in online teaching, if you lose a day or two or three, it's really significant and time is of the essence. So we really had to act fast in you know, our IT department and instructional departments were just working overtime to make sure we get as many students online as quickly as possible. So since that time, you've got your students, they have the technology, they have the access, they're online. What else has changed since the return in fall? What all have you all learned? Well, a couple things. First off, we learned that there's a lot of room for parent education. And parents are a primary source of, especially for younger kids, but primary source of help at home. And not all of our parents have that technology background. One thing that we piloted in the era of COVID was an an apartment outreach project in which we did our research, find out where there was most need, highest concentration of people experiencing problems. And we went to an apartment complex, set up in a common area outside, and had a projector and a computer, basically projected lessons on how to connect to our school's systems, our learning management systems, our attendance systems, answer questions about hotspots, try to engage parents and students where they were at going to them instead of having them come to school. And the advantage to that, obviously, is first off, not all of our parents have transportation. So if you live far away from a school, um, it's harder to get to school. And also, you know, going to school, we couldn't use the insides of school due to COVID. So we definitely had to meet outside. So, you know, so that's one pivot that we had to do is work to engage parents in the process. You know, Online learning, I think most teachers would say, is really challenging. There are teachers who are doing great jobs, but there's just some significant equity issues involved and biases that people have to work through. I think that many schools and teachers want cameras on, for example, in a Zoom call with their students. Well, I totally get that. It's hard to teach to blank screens. I was teaching summer school this summer to incoming ninth graders. And it's definitely harder to connect with students and teachers, you know, work at that. But, you know, when a student doesn't turn on a screen, it might be because they're in an apartment with eight other people and it's chaotic. It might be that they're nervous about showing their living environment, or it might just be that their data is such that they keep their camera off so they can conserve data 
Although initially, I heard some teachers in our district and around around the country saying, we have to have the cameras on, otherwise it's impossible to teach or whatever. But digging a little bit deeper, there's usually a story behind students' lives, what's going on, and being willing to investigate that story instead of just assuming the worst of a student. That was a challenge. And I think teachers have made that pivot, definitely. Well, I think that touches on the subject of digital equity, and you are clearly well-versed in this field, and we can see it in your work in Digital Equity Leader. Would you talk about some of the initiatives that you have focused on and pushed through, and maybe some of the strategies and tactics you've used to help your district become more digitally equitable? Well, you know, I really think first it starts with discussion. Our districts, many years ago, we started a digital equity group. We call it a digital equity brown bag lunch group. And and I think we call it that because it was a time of day where people from around the district could meet. We had administrators, teachers, TOSAs, librarians, different people participating. And what we found is that everyone brings a different perspective and has different stories. And so that's been very helpful because it's led us to ask better questions. For example, we try to survey incoming students about connectivity issues. And early on in the process, the question was simply, do you have internet access? Well, the committee quickly found out that that wasn't a good enough question. Mm -hmm. What kind of internet access do you have? Because a lot of our students were accessing the internet through their phones or a parent's phone and with not enough connectivity to participate fully in their classes. So I would say starting out in your district, having a consistent group of people who focus on this issue, you know, and meet and, you know, look at statistics, school statistics, district statistics. We also look at, the community looks at software use, for example, mm-hmm. because you can, in, can- in learning management systems like Canvas or Seesaw, get a feel for students that are accessing their LMSs on a consistent basis and students that are having trouble. So starting that discussion is super important. I would say working with community leaders, there's been educational foundations and companies like T-Mobile who have been willing to help out definitely in funding hotspots. So I would say that is important as well. And then People talk about sometimes term achievement gap, but we really frame it as opportunity gaps. And that is all of our students getting access to really high quality, engaging curriculum. And you know that's something else we're looking at and focusing on with our PDs. Like I said before, just because student has technology doesn't mean they're getting engaging, engaging instruction. It could just be a substitution. I mean, there isn't much difference between reading a packet and answering questions, paper packet versus reading on a computer. Mm-hmm. You know, computers can do so much more. They can build community. They can create contacts that students don't otherwise have. They can promote collaboration. We just want to make sure that all of our students have those opportunities. And teachers in our district, teachers on special assignment, really working hard in professional development to, you know, to focus on that. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways that teachers are using technology to engage students differently? I would say my bottom line is when a student's working on a project or an assignment, first off, are they collaborating with other students? And generally, that's, I would see that as a good thing. 
mean, sometimes students work alone and that's fine, but collaboration is a good thing. And then who's looking at the assessment or the project? Is it just the teacher? Is it teachers and fellow students? Or is it teachers and fellow students and parents and maybe community members? And one of our schools for the past couple of years, they've been doing a virtual museum, um, Civil War and, and Reconstruction issues. And pre-COVID, you know, students would work together. Some of the projects were technology-driven, presentations, music, graphs. They were really detailed and curated and then set up in our library. And teachers, administrators, parents in the community would come in in the evening and ask students questions about their projects. Like I said, many of them were technology-based. So that meets the criteria of collaboration and you know, presenting to an audience greater than the teacher. This year, I thought that it was going to, I just thought that the teachers were not going to do it, but they just converted to a virtual museum. And it was very successful once again. So those elements of collaboration, presentation, and connection. I mean, when you can do things with technology that you couldn't do with a book, you know, mm-hmm. a virtual tour of music, and for example, where you can follow different pathways of thinking. It's not necessarily a linear presentation. You can explore ideas within the presentation. That's an added plus. I think what we saw in the return to learn in the fall is not only did our students have like a very quick learning curve on how do I take classes in a virtual environment or a hybrid environment, our teachers had that very same challenge. They had to think through about how do I present this content in a way that is engaging, that is instructionally informative to my students, but also it's different. I mean, some of our teachers had live students, some had virtual students, some had a little bit of both, and there's never been a real clear roadmap for that. Talk to us a little bit about how you supported your teachers and the transition that they took over time. Well, Beaverton is 100% online right now. We've never been a hybrid in Oregon, and we'll see what happens in the spring as numbers come in. It's a super challenge. I would say that, I mean, teachers know that a fundamental ingredient to good teaching is relationship. Building solid relationships with students, a solid classroom culture will help lead to getting to those skills and content that are really important. But establishing that and just been harder Mm -hmm. in an online context especially when, you know, at parts of your class are asynchronous, Mm -hmm. which, to be honest, asynchronous is also important because we have several of our students who their parents are working, they're taking care of a two-year-old, for example. So there are certainly a lot of challenges. But to support our teachers, I guess the starting point is making sure that they can work efficiently with the tools. So there were a lot of work done with Zoom, how to format waiting rooms, using polls, different techniques, for example, that you could be a more effective teacher in working with Zoom. And then, you know, we get feedback. And I would say this is also essential, getting feedback from students as well. Because some students were saying, you know, the teacher will send us to breakout rooms, but we don't do anything in the breakout rooms. And so, you know, that was kind of interesting learning. Like, how do you deliberately format your breakout rooms so that really good stuff goes on inside those breakout rooms. And that could be a collective task, maybe inside a breakout room. Mm -hmm. Each breakout room has a Google Doc or 
some type of digital platform that they're working on together so that there's, you know, a product could mean before that roles are designated, student roles, before you go into that breakout room. There's just different strategies, different things you can announce to the breakout rooms to help guide the students, but just a steep learning curve. Yeah. Definitely. And so, you know, supporting teachers with using tools and, and same with our LMS Canvas, a lot more use in Canvas. And the key is there's a lot of ways to use a learning management system, whether it's Canvas or Edmodo or Google Classroom, whatever. But really, it's important for students that teachers use the management system in a pretty similar way. If you have several teachers and each teacher is using, you know, First off, if they're using a different learning management system, that's a problem. But if the whole school district is using the same system, the formatting of what teachers do within their digital classrooms is important because it's it can be really confusing for students if one teacher puts their assignments here, one teacher puts their assignments in another place, or if one teacher is deliberate in putting assignments on the digital calendar and another teacher isn't. I mean, in the ideal world, a student would log on and go to their calendar see their classes, see all their assignments on one page. And, you know, maybe their parent parents can log on to see what's due. But if a student can go to one place and see everything that's due and have a kind of a common language, that's a real value added. Mm-hmm. I noticed last year when I was helping out some students, asking them about their classes, it was a little bit more hit and miss about how teachers ran their classrooms. Or what they were using. I think that this year, distance learning has forced districts around the country to really think about that student experience. It's probably no secret that you know, around the country, failure rates and incomplete rates are up this fall. Mm-hmm. And that's for a lot of reasons. You know, it's the challenges of online learning, it's economic impacts, families in turmoil, certainly sickness, you know. But with that said, the more we can do as districts to help families and students find all their communications in one place in an organized manner, better. Yeah. So I want to lean into that question a little bit where you're talking about earlier, you mentioned there's opportunity gaps. And in addition to that, you've also got this sort of new dynamic where so many kids are struggling to pass their current classes. What are you thinking about? How are you all going to tackle that for the rest of this school year? To be honest, that's the question that we're working hard on right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. A million dollar question, right? <laughs> it is a million dollar question. I, you know, I wish there was a magic answer. I mean, part of it is looking at instruction, certainly. How are we instructing kids? Is that making a difference? How are we connecting kids? Is there anything else we should be doing? I think some districts, kids can make it up in summer school. Well, that might be the case for some kids, but. I think we really have to work hard, to, you know, in the spring of 2021 to see what we can do to increase participation and lower those F grades. Yeah, I think there's going to be like a deafening roar of people who are trying to address that after we get done with the holidays. And I've heard it in little pockets all over, but now I think it's going to be sort of this unifying message of like, oh my gosh, our kids are really struggling. How are we going to solve that? So, well, if you come up with any answers, don't hesitate to share them with us if you've got that. Definitely. So let me start to form closure with this question. This is my favorite question to ask because there have been so many terrible, awful things that have happened to so many people 
And at the same time, it's interesting. I've seen this glimmer of hope in every conversation that I've had where people are talking about good things that are happening and students that are thriving despite the circumstances. So I was going to ask you, what type of silver linings have you seen come out of this? Well, there's several, actually. I'll start with students. It's interesting that some students really thrive in an online environment. There's maybe school isn't the place for them. And I mean, in the sense that as far as being sitting in a seat or social dynamics, some students really enjoy the online environment because they can get up, check in, do their work, and not have to go back and forth. So that's one takeaway. Many students find this situation really tough, but there's some students who thrive. I'll say another silver lining is that teachers have really upped their digital game. They've had to. So in most districts, you have teachers who really are passionate about technology and teachers who use technology, and then some teachers who are, you know, who might be great teachers but don't use technology as much. I would say that this has forced teachers in generally a good way to really look at how they use technology to learn and grow and to adapt. So that's been a good thing. I mean, teachers have been students like never before. They've had to learn a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The last one is kind of a paradox, a silver lining paradox. (laughs) If you could follow me here, I would say that, you know, there's always been inequity, inequities within our system Mm -hmm. within most educational systems. And often it goes kind of hidden. For example, with technology, kids come to school and they can get an education. But if they don't have adequate connectivity or resources at home, they might suffer, but they're still coming to school. What this pandemic has done has really magnified the inequities within our system. I mean, some of our students are just getting punished. There's no easier way to say it. But with that said, I think districts are aware more than ever before, you know, inequities that exist. And that awareness, I would say, it's kind of a paradox, but I would say the awareness of the inequities is a silver lining because awareness can lead to action. And I think that districts around the country are really considering digital equity like they never have before. So I would say that that would be my third silver lining. Excellent. Well, I think silver linings, we'll take them where we can get them this year, right? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Well, fantastic. I want to say thank you for joining us today, Matt. Um, Thank you for your time and sharing your experience candidly about things we're doing well, things we're struggling with, because we're all in this together. I kind of view these podcasts like a professional learning community. So thank you for your time and insight. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate your interest in digital equity. And I'd say that you're right. We're all in this together. And if anyone says they have all the answers to all the problems, that you know that they're probably not being totally honest because we're working hard to adapt to meet the needs of our students. We sure are. And thank you to our educators out there. You all are doing a Herculean task and it's so challenging and it is the most important work we can do in our country. So thank you very much for that. 
and to our Opportunity Thrives listeners. Thank you for your time today. If you're enjoying our podcast, we would love to hear it if you take just a minute of your time and share your feedback on our show by providing a review, either on Spotify or iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on. And please reach out to us with any questions or comments at info at Opportunity Thrives. Thanks so much for tuning in today and we will see you next time.